scripture reading today is from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and it can be found on page 1016 of your Pew Bibles. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. One who speaks to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. We're just about there at New Year's. So it's this time that we often take inventory of our lives. We might think back a year to last year's New Year's resolutions, try to measure how well we did with those. We might look at commitments we were making during the year or or dreams that we had. And this is a time to pause and look back and say, did they come to fruition? At the same time, we gear up for a new year, and there are many, many who do make resolutions. And I would like us to think about that this morning. Because I believe the passage before us is just perfect for this time of year to get us thinking rightly about life, about not just the year ahead, but our futures. But I want us to be thinking not simply as individuals, but as a body of Jesus Christ that God has placed here in Metro West to reach the world. So I think this passage in First Peter helps us look again individually at what God really, where he would bring us so that our lives would really matter, but also that God so ordained his community that we would work and serve together to really have meaningful life as the body of Christ, to make a difference. Uh, Pastor Brandon is going to be preaching over the next month, probably carrying on this thought of in more specific ways of how God would use us as a body to impact our world around us. So let's call upon the Lord that he be the one that speaks to us this morning. Father, we, we do open your word that you spoke through Peter throughout the generations is truth. And it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. I will never do justice to all of the truth that is here, but I trust that through this voice today, as we look at this passage, your spirit would take and minister to each of us exactly and precisely what we need to hear according to where we are on our journey with you. We pray these in the name of and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
How many of you have watched over the last few weeks either It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol? How many actually did that this year? Okay, <laughs> that's both. I'm sure you're all familiar with those stories. And they're very inspiring during the Christmas season. And they're, they're similar in one way. They both portray lives that are meaningful. Lives that make a difference. Lives that count. And in each story, the main character needed to gain a new perspective on life in order to understand what was valuable in life. In particular, Scrooge himself, everything came together and crystallized when he is brought to his own tomb to see that one day, it seemed very soon, he would die. And that would be that. And all that would matter is what he left behind in the lives of others. First Peter 4 is very similar to that graveyard experience for Scrooge. For it begins with the words, The end of all things is at hand. Now, usually when we hear those words, we envision some tattered, ragged gentleman making his way through the streets with this big sign, the end is near, and we associate that with insanity. And yet this passage does the exact opposite. It is saying that we are only going to think clearly soberly and sanely when we understand the reality that the end is near. Look at the verse. The end of all things that is at hand, therefore be self-controlled. And that word self-controlled has, has within it packed the idea of having right judgment, clear and accurate judgment. And secondly, to be sober-minded, and this is the opposite of the drunk. The drunk who is out of control and his mind is going all over the place and he can't really even put words together sometimes. The exact opposite. This person, when we do this, we become sober-minded. Everything becomes much sharper, much clearer. That all happens when we realize the end is near. And we can think in terms of the end of all things and the Lord's return, because Jesus says that return is imminent. It could come at any time. And if we live our lives as though Christ could come at any time, it's going to make an incredible difference. Or it can mean specifically our personal end, that just like Scrooge, we will pass from this world. And it is only when we begin to think from that perspective that we gain an eternal perspective that really helps us think rightly. I'm, uh, we just saw the new Hobbit. And in the, the Hobbit, Bilbo Baggin and the dwarfs are in the Mirkwood forest. 
and it's dark and they can't see and they're lost and they're just saying, where, where's the east? Where's the east? And, and they say, we, we can't see the sun. We don't know where we are. And they discover that they've been going around in circles over and over again, getting nowhere. Until Bilbo climbs a giant tree and gets to the top of it and can see over the tree and he sees the sun and that's now going to give him direction and he sees the land that they're heading and the beauty of it. And all of a sudden, now, Bilbo can come and give accurate, clear directions and their thinking now moves well beyond the forest that they're stuck in and they know now where to go. And our culture has lost this idea of looking at life through these glasses. Uh, The presidential speechwriter Peggy Noonan said this, We've lost the sense of mystery about us, our purpose, our meaning, our role. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood that this one to be Solitary and poor, nasty, even brutish and short. We are the first generation of humankind that actually expected to be happy here on earth. And our search for this happiness has caused such unhappiness. The reason, if you do not believe in another higher world... If you believe only in the flat material world around you, if you believe this is your only chance for happiness, if this is what you believe, then you will be disappointed when the world does not give you a good measure of its riches. We're the first generation to be thinking lost in Mirkwood Forest without a higher view. And it's only way to get that higher view that there is an eternal happiness that we should really be after, that we can put in context this earthly joy. So when we gain that perspective, we can now distinguish between what is eternal and what is temporal. What is of vast importance and what is trivial. Even what is right and good and lasting and that which is wrong. It helps us understand the pains of life here as being temporary and giving us hope. I remember years ago I would visit uh, a woman who was battling brain cancer. And I would take my five-year-old son at the time, uh, Stephen, with me. And he would often sit in her lap, and she was really a soothing bomb to him. And I remember the day I, I had to come home and tell him that uh, she had passed. And his words were, you mean she's all better now? And I said, that's right. See, that's an eternal perspective. Uh, yes, there is pain, but hope when we get that view of, you know, the end could be near any time. It gives us the higher view. And First John even says, when we set our eyes upon Christ's coming, it actually purifies us. Why? Because we know the most important thing in life is God's purpose for us. And that the trials and struggles in life are those things which will help, when we walk with God, fashion us into the very image of Christ. And it purifies us.
So as we enter into the new year, we need to gain this eternal perspective. What is of most importance? And we need to invest our lives in those things. And it's not by accident that the first thing he talks about is of importance is prayer. And we read the next verse. Uh, Well, this same verse. The end of all things is his hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The most important thing that you can do, the most powerful part of your life is prayer. There's lots of things you can do with your body, but you're limited what you can physically do. But when you enter into prayer, you are connected with the sovereign God of the universe who is so much more powerful and capable and able, knows so much more understands everything that is happening when you connect with Him in prayer. When you pray His will, your prayers are moving the hand of God. And what He's saying here in the connection is you need to have an eternal perspective when you pray. Otherwise, your prayers are really going to be very, very limited. Think of it this way. What do you pray most about? Things that are temporal or things that are eternal? And I know I look at my prayer life and I I realize I'm praying mostly about temporary things. Much less about the eternal. And that's why he's saying the end is near. You need to understand this for your prayers. Look at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know what he's saying there? Lord, let your name be lifted up as holy throughout this entire world. Is that the passion of your heart like it was Jesus's? And then he says, let your kingdom come. God, this world is all about your kingdom. And certainly that prayer says, Lord, I can't wait for you to bring your kingdom here to earth. But he's also saying, Lord, I want you to work through us to bring pieces of that kingdom even here and now. See, that's valuable things that make our lives count. And then in light of that, he's going to talk about two things that need to be in our lives. Love and the glory of God. Of God. Now, if you've been around me a little bit in one of my classes or even in a re, uh, sermon series a couple years ago, those words will ring a bell in connecting you back to the very Trinity of who the very essence of God is. Because when we go back and look at what's called the perichoruses, the divine relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John 17, you're going to see two words jumping off the page. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit had an eternal love relationship with each other. They lived for each other, cared for each other, gave of themselves to each other. And they also had a mutual glorify, 
relationship. They sought the glory of each other. Jesus prays in John 17. He says, Father, glorify me now that I may glorify you. I only want glory because that glory brings glory to you, Father. And so the very divine essence of God is this love relationship and this mutual glorification. And to understand the most valuable things in life, we need to understand who God is because he made us in his image to experience love and to ultimately glorify of most importance the one who deserves the glory, God himself. So it's no accident when he talks about lives that really matter that he zeroes in on love and glory. And today, we all gravitate to to the first. We all understand how central love is. All of our songs have sung it, right? And what captured me was I was... uh, was the biography of uh, Steve Jobs. And when his biography came out, you know, it was the bestseller for 2011, even though it came out in October. So it really captured everybody. But a buzz went about about the, the picture on the inside, and back, uh, inside of the front and back covers because it was a picture of Steve Jobs looking at a computer. And it made sense because, I mean, Steve Jobs hit the motto of Apple. He started Apple and many, many other things. The motto was, we're going to put a dent in the universe. And they really, he really did, didn't he? Uh, so it, it's natural you'd think he's looking at his computer. And this picture was taken shortly after the news that he had cancer and it was terminal. So you see, he's... It captures what's most important to Steve Jobs. But if you look closely at the computer picture, you realize he's not looking at the computer. He's looking at a picture of his son and wife. So that we we understand the one who wants to put a dent in the universe, the most important thing to him in the end, when he had his life in perspective, was love. And I think that resonates with every one of us. If we ever receive that news, the first thing we would be thinking about is the people we love in life. And that's what we have here. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly or passionately, fervently, since love covers a multitude of sins. The reason love is central to us is because love has been eternally central to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, for our lives to count, they have to be about love. They have to be about love one another. But I find it interesting, whereas he'll say in other places, love one another. He doesn't say that here. He's assuming that believers love each other. Because when you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are born into a heart that loves God and loves our neighbors and ourselves. First John says, you know you have passed from death into life because you love 
the brethren. That's one of the tests of a Christian. Do you love other Christians? And so he's saying, love one another fervently. So love is supernaturally embedded in the born-again person. But he still says you have to love earnestly or fervently. The word here is really used of athletes who strive and strain for their goal. And he's saying, our love, we need to really strive to love people. I mean, it's in us, but but there's so many things that could short-circuit the love in us that we need to press on through those. What can short-circuit your love? Sometimes it's when somebody uh, offends you. Love gets short-circuited. Somebody overlooks you, your your love is short-circuited. Sometimes when you get feeling sorry for yourself, your love for others gets short-circuited. There are so many things that short-circuit our love. And he's saying here, don't let that happen. Love one another fervently, earnestly, strivingly. And then he makes this comment, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this is not saying, like, again, our culture seems to say, say, if you say something in someone's life is sinful, that's unloving, you don't love that person. And, And our culture has a hard time hearing a Christian say, what you're doing, the lifestyle you're living is wrong and sinful before God. But I love you very much. Our culture is having a hard time hearing that, but yet I believe that's what he's saying here is love covers a multitude of sins, not by saying there is no sin, not by saying I'm not going to look at the sin, love covers a multitude of sin because it says I am going to look at more than your sin. I am going to look at you through the eyes of God, one created by God to be in the image of God. And I am going to see how very special you are to my Father, the one I love, and therefore you are special to me despite your sin. When we love people, We continue a relationship of love with them, even if their sin turns us off. We love beyond it. And again, our culture is struggling with that, but that is what God calls us to. So there is love, and I always say love's going to show itself specifically here in two ways through hospitality and through service. The next verse. Show hospitality to one another without love, without grumbling. So what it's saying here is have a heart of hospitality. You see, if, if we give hospitality without a heart of hospitality, we start measuring how much we're spending, investing, time, what we're giving up. Others and all of a sudden a spirit of grumbling starts happening inside of us. And he's saying, that's not what I'm wanting. I'm not wanting to force you into hospitality so you say, well, I did it. And then go complain about it, either to 
someone else or inside yourself. He's saying, no, you need to have a spirit of hospitality, of openness, of loving people so much you want to be inclusive of them. You want to be helping them on their way. The hospitality in the first century was very often the opening of your homes to itinerant preachers. Imagine the Apostle Paul comes by. You can open your home to him. If you do, what have you done? You've just moved the kingdom of God forward. You invested in eternal things because Paul's God is ministering so tremendously through Paul. Others open their house to home churches. And people flooded into their homes, but they used it as though it didn't belong to them. It belonged to God. It was his, his sanctuary for that time. Others, hospitality to just those who were in need, who needed a place to stay. They just opened their lives. Today, the culture is a little different. Yeah, there are those coming through, like at the Thanksgiving ISI conference, that many of you have been so blessed by opening your homes to people you didn't know, students you didn't know. And you were helping them on their journey with the Lord. And that's incredible. Some of you open up your homes to the home fellowships. You know, sometimes it amazes me. They're going to open their homes again another year? Wow, that's tremendous. We appreciate that. And I think another way is just the hospitality spirit is to be thinking of, how can I just open my life, my home, to others to get to know them better, to help them feel included and wanted, maybe just to meet somebody? I know that spirit's in many of you, and that's what he's talking about here. Love expresses itself through hospitality. It isn't grumbling. And it expresses itself through service. And he says in verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What he's saying is, serve one another. And naturally, that's, that's what we saw in George Bailey. That's what we see in the call to Scrooge is, is serve, invest your life in the lives of others. But specifically, he's saying, you have a spiritual gift. Every believer is given a gift. Maybe you found it, maybe you haven't. Very particularly, look at that gift and see how God would use it, not in serving yourself, but in serving others. Now, that gift is going to be used for God. When, if you have the gift of speaking, preaching, counseling, uh, teaching, discipling, it says, speak the oracles of God. Our words in any of those venues, and we have to be careful particularly in counseling, 
So we're directly speaking to someone's life. They're not to be that of human wisdom. That very often is missed, is still in the forest. Still self-centered. Still looking at the temporal. We need to be speaking what God would speak to people. Whether from the pulpit or from whether a seat on the couch next to someone. We need to know the word of God so we can be sharing the word of God. We need to have the wisdom of God to know what word of God to speak into the hearts and lives of others. So if you're speaking, it's got to be the words of God. And if you're serving, it's got to be with the power of God. And tell you the truth, as I was studying this passage, I was like, well, what do you mean serving? You know, I mean, if I'm going to hand out bulletins, I'm handing out, do I need the power of God? I mean, what? And, and he's saying yes. And when I stepped back and started thinking of the servants in this church and how often I'll come here, maybe come back late at night, and we've got servants of the church still here ministering to to us by working on this facility. Person after person, I'm like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be there again. I mean, if I were them, I'd say, I'm given so much, and here I am back again. And I'm thinking, you know what? (laughs) That's because it's the strength of God. Yeah. I couldn't serve the same way they do because they have a special gift of serving in that way. And so we each have a gift. Sometimes we wish we had a different one. But God says you each have a gift, and when we put them all together, the cause of Christ thrives through the body. And... If you'll forgive me for using one more Christmas story, maybe a little hokier than the others. Uh, I would just think of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Right? Rudolph had a gift. Right? He had the shiny nose. But he, he didn't see it as a gift. He saw it as a curse. Because it made him stand out in a way that he just wasn't a part of everyone else. And so he looked at the gifts of Prancer Prancer and Dancer and Donner and Vixen, right? These strong, uh, uh, what are they, reindeer that could carry the sled through the night, right? And, And he just felt excluded. He wishes he had their gift. But he didn't. He had a very different gift. But it was a very special gift that was needed on that foggy Christmas Eve. There was no one else to be there at that time. And you know what? At the end of the story, you know, he's all excited and happy at the end. You know why? Two reasons. At least in my version of the story. Two reasons. He served others, right? He helped lead Santa's sleigh so they could distribute the gifts to the boys and girls throughout the world, he served others. He did something that mattered and counted. But secondly, he was there for his master. Santa came and asked him. And that meant all the difference to him because it was really about being there for Santa. And, and this story really, this passage really moves there. And verse the end of 14 and 12, 11 and 12, when it says, you know, use your gift in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be long, 
glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, what, what Peter's saying is the use of your gift, it serves others. But the really beautiful thing about it is it glorifies God. See, if you're doing it in your own strength, if you're, you're trying to live it out in your own strength, that's not what glorifies God. If it's you giving your personal wisdom, that does nothing to glorify God. If you serve in your own strength and human capabilities, it's not, it's not to the glory of God. I like to, to think in terms of messages very often <laughs> or, or circumstances and situations and things you do and ask the question, who's the hero of this story? When you preach the sermon, who's, who's the hero of the sermon? Is it you, the congregation, because you go and do what the pastor said? Or is it God, like in the case of this passage? He's saying, go love. But what does scripture say? We love because he first loved us. See, the real hero of our love is the love of Jesus Christ so poured into our life that our life, our love flows from him. And think if I speak my words to you, to someone, and something good happens to the glory to Bruce. If you, you serve out of your personal strength, the glory to you for, for what you did. But when it's, you're speaking the oracles of God, when you're serving through the power of God, it's to the glory of God. And that's what we're made for. We're made for the glory of God, not because God's saying there, I need your glory. God does not need your glory. God the Father has been receiving the glory of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And I ask the question, who among us here can glorify God the Father more than Jesus Christ glorifies God the Father? We can't. God doesn't need our glory. We need to give it to him because we were made to receive his love, to receive the glory he bestows on us by dying for us so that we could be like him and give love and give glory where it's due. We will find fulfillment when we love as God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit love and we glorify specifically the Father. It's then we find the fulfillment of our purpose, our lives, so that we find joy and we invest in the eternal in the lives of others. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for these words of Peter. How, what a great time of the year to just stop and pause and take inventory. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who died for us to give us this relationship. For you, Father, who poured out your word to give us truth that we could live by and build our lives upon, to give us eternal perspective, and for your spirit to speak that truth into each of our lives today. To you be the glory. Amen.